0: and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away.
1: Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Or wonder no more? Welcome to Table Read Podcast where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine.
0: Bullet Catcher, Season 1, Episode 11. The gun
2: trembles in my hand. I lift the muzzle to the bullet catcher's heart. And then, the answer comes to me like a flash of light. I reset the hammer and crouch in front of the bullet catcher. He furrows his brow, his face a question mark. When I click open the chamber of my gun, he seems to understand. He smiles. I take a bullet from the chamber, click it closed, and holster the gun. Open your mouth. The bullet catcher does. I put the bullet on his tongue and he closes his mouth. I stand, wiping my hands. Cloak glowers at me, bemused. Done, I say. What do you mean? You've done nothing. He spits. Like you said, the rules of the test are simple. You told me to take out my gun. I did. You told me to put a bullet in him. I did. His hands remained tied. He didn't resist. I met all the conditions of your test. Nico listens to my explanation, and I think I see a small smile cross his lips. The bullet catcher looks up at Cloak and sticks his tongue out showing Cloak the bullet. When he speaks, his voice is tired and scratchy. Would you rather I swallow it? That way you could say she put a bullet in my gut. That's what sends Cloak over the edge. He cocks the trigger of his shooter and presses the barrel to the bullet catcher's forehead. The bullet catcher leans into the barrel, unafraid. You know damn well what I meant, Emma. You've made your choice. I go for my shooter, but even before I do, I know I won't be fast enough. The shot rings out. Some in the crowd hit the ground. Others crane their necks to get a better view. I twist away from the sound, not wanting to look. But when I turn around, the bullet catcher is still kneeling in the dirt. Nico has grabbed Cloak's gun and pulled it away from the bullet catcher. The gun fired harmlessly into the air. That's enough, Cloak, Nico says. Cloak pulls himself free from Nico, and when he looks at him, he doesn't look angry, he looks hurt. He pushes his way through the crowd and disappears. Nico watches him go. He starts to follow him, but thinks better of it. He runs his hand through his hair. Then he turns to me and says, I'm proud of you. You used your wits today. It's a powerful tool, a person's intelligence. Then he says, Low and serious But one day You'll discover it's not always possible To think your way out of danger Nico raises my chin with his hand Until our eyes meet and says But don't worry On that day Whenever that is I'll be there with you I grab Nico's hands And hold them in mine Promise me you won't hurt him The bullet catcher Promise me He hesitates, staring deep into my eyes. Okay, he says. I promise. Then he turns and signals to the crowd. Two large gunslingers come up and, taking the bullet catcher under the arms, drag him to his feet. Throw him in the cells, Nico says. As they haul him away, the bullet catcher spits the bullet into the dirt. Nico grabs me by the wrist and thrusts my hand in the air. The crowd goes crazy. There's a mad rush as everyone makes for the saloons, ready for the party to begin. Noticing my eyes, still fixed on the street where they hauled away the bullet catcher, Nico nudges my shoulder and says, smile, you're a gunslinger. Nico leads me and a procession of gunslingers to his club. There, a chair like a throne awaits me. It's lined and cushioned in red velvet. A man in a smock stands beside it, smoking a cigarette down to the nub. Tattooist? Nico calls to him. We need your expertise. He leads me by the hand to the chair, where he directs me to sit. If you're going to be a gunslinger, he says to me, you need to look like one. The last of the tattooist's cigarette dangles from his lips. He holds a half-finished glass of snakebite by the tips of his fingers. I can only hope it's his first drink. He flicks his cigarette onto the floor and shakes my brother's hand. Nico stands aside and the tattooist takes his seat on the stool. This don't hurt a bit, little lady, he says, unlocking his case and flicking open the lid. He takes out a machine that looks like a sadist's pistol, all exposed gears and pumps. On the floor is a tank of compressed air. He attaches one end of a hose to the valve of the tank and the other to the handle of the strange pistol and squeezes the trigger. It lets out a whirring, grinding sound that makes my hands and feet go cold. The tattooist hums to himself as he takes a bottle of black ink from his case and screws it into the top of the device. He slugs the last of his drink, takes another cigarette from his top pocket, and lighting it says, your hand, darling. Nico stands at my side and rests his hand on my shoulder. It's warm and lends me strength. I look at the tattooist with his needle-tipped instrument in one hand and the other hand outstretched waiting for mine. I make my mind steel, and, clenching my jaw, give him my hand. For me, a tattoo won't be the mark of a gunslinger, but a means to an end. It will be a reminder of the lengths I'm willing to go to for what I feel is right, no matter if those things are hard or unpleasant. I refuse to flinch when the needle pierces the back of my hand, stenciling out the V of VI. Six. Six Six-shooter. The sign and number of the gunslingers. The tattooist finishes the eye, wipes away the blood, and then, despite the snake bite, encloses the numeral in a perfect black circle. Blood seeps from the million tiny pinpricks. Only when it's over do I realize that the room, crowded with people, has fallen silent. All eyes are on Nico. He scrutinizes the tattoo. Finally, he says, Excellent work, tattooist. And the gunslingers erupt in more applause and the drinks start flowing again. The tattooist wraps my hand in gauze. My skin burns like I'm holding it over a fire. But I'm the Inflammable Girl. My pain isn't so bad, and I'm proud of how well I bear it. The next morning, while the entire town is hungover, I head to the jail. It's a small brick building near the edge of the industrial district. Nico once told me proudly that they're able to keep it small because the gunslingers are so good at policing themselves. After living for a time in Las Pistolas, I can say that it's true. Hardly anyone ends up at the jail, but only because they're usually shot dead first. The jailer and his deputy sit at the big desk they share, playing cards. They look up at me with sunblasted slowness. All the doors and windows in the jail are battened down to keep in the coolness radiating from the brick. Inside, among the flickering oil lamps, the air is warm and thick-smelling with sweat and smoke. The two men don't say anything, don't tip their hats. The jailer spits tobacco into a spittoon, and the brown juice dribbles down his chin. The deputy works his cheek full of tobacco as slow as a mule-chewing cud. They sit and stare at me, waiting for me to speak. I'm here to see the bullet catcher, I say probably a little too loud. The two jailers share a wordless look. Ain't nobody supposed to see him less bullet give the say so, says the deputy. These two look and sound like hicks from the sticks, but the jailer's fingers fast twitch just above the butt of his holstered shooter. Nico's too smart, too demanding to let just anybody guard the bullet catcher. These two know what they're doing. I'm Bullet's sister, if you didn't already know. We do, ma'am, says the jailer, his hand still hovering. But with all due respect, Bullet's sister ain't bullet. Peering through the open door that connects the jailer's office to the cells, I can see the bullet catcher's heels propped up through the bars of his cell. The old man give you any trouble? I ask, because I'm not ready to leave. My brain stretches for a way to see the bullet catcher without having to ask my brother for permission, but nothing comes to mind. The jailer and his deputy share another wordless look. Best customer we've had in quite some time, the deputy says. Quiet as a church mouse, the jailer adds solemnly. I'll be back with word from bullet, I say, and tip my hat. The guards in front of Nico's building let me in. I climb the stairs to his office on the top floor. In the hallway outside his door, the electric lights flicker. They still feel strange and foreign to me, yellow and overbright. Give me a gas lamp any day. Somewhere in the building, someone flushes a toilet. The boiler gurgles down in the basement. Footsteps clank across the elevated boardwalk a story below Nico's window. All sights and sounds I've never managed to grow used to in my months here. Nico's door is open a crack, letting a blade of yellow light and the sound of hushed voices into the dim hallway. I move closer to the door, careful where I step across the creaky floorboards, and, putting my ear close, listen in on Nico and Cloak's conversation. You're wrong. I know her. She will never accept it, Nico says, sounding exhausted. In time, she will see it as the right thing. She'll thank you. Cloak's voice is firm. How can I risk it? You must, or you'll lose her. The old man will corrupt her. Daring to ease the door open just a few more inches, I peer into the bright room. Nico sits in his chair, elbows on his desk, his head in his hands. Cloak stands over him with a hand on his back. Then Cloak swivels Nico's chair toward him and crouches down to look him in the eye, resting his palms on Nico's thighs. She passed her test, but only by avoiding the point. She was supposed to choose you or him, and she didn't. It's as good as choosing him. No, it's not the same, Nico says, She didn't choose him over me, only because she knew that if she had, the gunslingers would have torn her and the old man limb from limb. Nico rakes his fingers over his face. His eyes are bright and shining. He doesn't say anything. She will come to understand and respect you. She will love you for your strength, like I do. Cloak gets to his feet and holds out his hand to Nico. Tell me you trust me. In private, speaking with Nico, his voice is soft. Nico takes his hand and lets Cloak lift him up. Cloak pulls him close and embraces him. I trust you, Nico whispers into Cloak's shoulder. Cloak moves his hand to the back of Nico's neck. He touches his lips to his cheek before moving them to Nico's lips. They inhale deeply their arms around one another, and kiss. They smile at each other's smile. With Cloak running his fingers through Nico's hair, their noses so close they're nearly touching, Nico glows. Right now, he looks more himself than I've seen him since we found each other. In this stolen moment, Cloak inspires love in my brother. But it was never Nico's capacity for love that I doubted. It was everything else his anger, his hate, his judgment. And it doesn't change what I think about Cloak. Sometimes you just fall in love with the wrong person. Cloak wants me to choose between Nico and the bullet catcher. But maybe the key to all this is if I can convince Nico to choose me over Cloak. Whatever I do, it'll have to be fast. I'm not sure what it was they were talking about, but
0: whatever it was, I know it's bad news for the bullet catcher. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. Which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seehorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts.
2: I sneak to the end of the hallway and then head back toward Nico's door, making my footsteps loud so they'll hear me coming. At the door, I knock and feign surprise when it falls open. Nico sits behind his desk, straightening his hair, and Cloak stands at the small bar, fixing himself a drink. Good to see you, Nico says, a little too loud. I hope you were able to enjoy the party last night. It was fine, I lie. Excellent. Say, let's see your hand. I hold out my hand. Nico and Cloak come over to get a better look. Cloak grabs my wrist and peels back the gauze. It's stuck with blood and burns when it comes away. That's mighty fine work, Nico says. Make sure to keep it clean. It means that you're a gunslinger, Cloak says flatly. I know what it means. You should cherish it. Okay, you two, Nico chimes in. How about we take it easy? He sits down on the edge of his desk, his boots swinging lazily. So, what can I do for you? I want to see the bullet catcher. Cloak shoots Nico a look. I don't think that's a good idea, Nico says. Why not? Because he's the enemy, Cloak says, him and his kind. He holds me with a stare and I do my best not to shrink from it. Because he's not to be trusted, Emma, Nico says. He's locked up, and when a person like him is in a situation like the one he's in, he'll do anything it takes to get out. You don't trust me? You know I do. Then you think I'm weak. He nearly leaps off his perch at the edge of the desk. You know I don't. Then what is it? He swallows and looks at me. I can tell he's weighing what to do, trying to figure out just how much harm letting me see the bullet catcher could do. Very well, he says. I'll arrange it. Before I leave, I go up to him and hug him and kiss him on the cheek. Thank you. This time, when I go to the jail, I walk past the jailer and his deputy and right into the cells without saying a word. They hardly stir from where they sit, and they certainly don't try to stop me. The bullet catcher stands by the far wall in his cell, leaning his shoulder against the cool brick and gazing up at the barred window. I stand in front of his cell, my hands on the bars, looking at the sawdust on the floor. Hear that? he says. From beyond the window comes the sound of birdsong, like small bells chiming. A gray and white bird hops onto the sill, cocking its head left and right in that nervous way birds do, twittering to itself. The bullet catcher stares at it, like he's listening intently to the bird. And the bird stops, hops once or twice along the sill, and jumps off, back into the sunlight. I'm sorry this happened. He turns and the light coming through the window illuminates his bruised and swollen face. He comes over to the bars and takes my hands in his. His gnarled old hands are somehow soft. He looks a moment at the gauze wrapped around my hand, but says nothing. I drop my voice to a barely audible whisper. I overheard Nico and Cloak. I think they're going to kill you. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The bullet catcher lets go of my hands and sits on his bedroll. Nor do I, he says. For now, let's sit and rest like we used to after a hard day up on our mountain. Except this time, I'll tell you the answers to all the questions you had, but that I was too much of a coward to answer. The cell beside the bullet catchers is empty. The door is unlocked and open wide. I go in and sit on the cot. We lean with our backs to one another's, the bars between us. I take a deep breath. Did you know my father was a gunslinger? Yes, I knew. Did you know him? In a way. By reputation. He clears his throat and says, I was in a town called Santa Maria's near the Salt Ocean. The war was nearly over by then. We'd go on fighting for another year or so, even though we knew it was lost. I was a mean son of a bitch. That much killing, that much seeing others killed, you couldn't help it and made you mean. I had been tracking a gunslinger and had finally caught up to him hiding out near the edge of town. We dueled through the night, and when morning came, I was dog-tired and he was dead. I was drinking and eating eggs in the saloon when a band of bullet catchers rode into town. I'd started out with my own posse, but by then, most of them were dead and those that were left, like Cass, well, we weren't on speaking terms at that moment. They said they'd tracked a gunslinger to about a day's ride east from Marius. I was so tired my eyes ached. My bones felt brittle like sawdust. But that kind of tired, the tired that comes from fighting, it makes you want to keep going. It's called Bloodlust. Ten of us rode out that evening. Three bullet catchers and seven townsfolk, armed to the hilt. Along the way, they told me stories of the man we were off to kill. They told me he was evil, that he was a monster. And that was enough for me. I believed in such words back then. I was surprised when we arrived at the Gunslinger's homestead. I had expected a fortress, but it was just a squat house, like any other on the frontier of the Southland, though it was well tended. I remember the freshly painted porch and the vegetable garden out back. It would take a lot of work to make anything grow in dirt like that, but sure enough, The vegetable garden had sprouted with all manner of things. Stop. Don't say more. I know that place. I know that house. We did not give any warning. We surrounded the house and opened fire. Someone lit a torch and set fire to the house. The winds were too strong and kept blowing out the flames. It wouldn't burn completely. Inside, picking through the rubble, we found the gunslinger. He wasn't even wearing his guns. He was holding a woman in his arms. To think, from the stories I'd been told, I was shocked he was just... a man. I closed my eyes and don't even bother trying to keep from crying. In every room, there were toys and children's clothes. There was a high chair in the kitchen. A small, wrought iron bed with bright sheets thrown hastily off. I can see it all as if it just happened. I searched everywhere for the bodies of the children. My blood had run cold. My mind was blank. When I found the trapdoor, I pulled a rug over it. I didn't tell anyone. And the others didn't care about the children. They were as good as dead, way out there, all on their own. We had done what we had come to do. That night, while the others were sleeping, I doubled back and followed the passage to where it emerged in the hills. I found the children taking shelter. The boy, no older than nine or ten, was clutching his sister in his arms to protect her from the stinging wind. I did the only thing I could think of. I put them on my horse and brought them to an orphanage, the closest place I thought they'd be safe. I don't know what I'm feeling. I think I'm supposed to feel something, but it's too much. I feel tired. From the other room come the voices of the jailer and deputy arguing over their card game. Why are you telling me this? I managed to say. If I were a better man, I would have told you straight away when you first came to me. I would have told you that it is because of who you are, because of my regret over what I did, that I was so quick to want to chase you out of my camp, that I was so hesitant to train you. I never stopped checking in on you two. When Nico ran away from the orphanage, I found him, I trained him, I... I started to think of him like a son. He stops and then starts again. When the guilt became unbearable, I told him the truth. He left. He joined up with the gunslingers. He used what I'd taught him to hunt us and kill us. I still loved him, even after he took everything I had left. I rest the back of my head against the cool metal bars and close my eyes. I imagine that day with the bullet catcher outside my house, my mother and father rushing Nico and me through the trap door, our father giving Nico some last instructions, kissing him, knowing it would be the last he'd ever see his son and daughter, and closing the passage behind us. What am I supposed to do with this? What do you want? Forgiveness? It feels like my insides are tearing apart like tissue paper. Emma, back then I thought I knew everything. I was already an old man, but I suppose a lot of young people feel that way. I have done terrible things in my life. The lesson I learned that day outside your homestead I've had to relearn again and again. Like me, your brother has done terrible things, but he is still your brother. And what about my father? Was whatever he did bad enough to kill him for? I convinced myself it was, but it had little to do with him. I didn't know him personally, but I suspect he was neither good nor bad. He was just a man. No, I say. He wasn't just a man. He was my father. That has to count for something. Everything okay in there, miss? The jailer hollers from the other room. I wipe the tears from my face. Everything's fine. I'm just leaving. I stand. The bullet catcher comes over to the bars, hangs his arms outside the cell. I'm sorry, cub. I wish I could take it back. I've wished it every day since. I wanted to do right by you and by Nico, but I didn't do too good there either. He beckons me closer and whispers, Remember how you felt after every test. History is a hard lesson, Emma, and learning it is painful. But do not confuse pain with failure. He takes my hand in his, and when he pulls away, he leaves a slip of paper in my palm. I head to the saloon, where I find Hartwright. When I show myself, she shoots away the rest of the gunslingers. I sit down, pour myself a shot of snakebite, and shoot it. What the hell happened to you? She says. And before I know it, I'm laughing. I can't help it. It starts like a bubble popping in my stomach, and then I can't stop. And then I'm crying. The tears are running down my face. She grabs me and pulls me close. And I bury my face against her collar and weep. Until there are no more tears left, I tell her everything. I tell her that I think Nico and Cloak are going to kill the bullet catcher. And I tell her how he killed my parents. And I tell her how I still love them Nico and the bullet catcher, both. And I tell her how I wish they were dead. Then, before I know it, it's late, and the bottle of snake bite is nearly empty. Hartwright gives me a long, concerned look and says, "'You've been through hell. "'And if I reckon right, there's more of it still to go. "'But I think you ought to take it easy, kid.' She lifts the bottle. "'This stuff makes more problems than it solves.' I'm slumped forward in my chair, my chin buried in my arms crossed on the table." What do you know, anyway? I slur. Not much, she says. But more than you. Then she pours the rest of the snakebite into her glass. I think she does it just so I won't drink it. Morning breaks. I sit in the bath until I don't reek of snakebite and my headache settles. Later... Sitting on my bed, I go through my pockets and find the note the bullet catcher passed me the day before. On it is written, if you still wish to do something about the water, find Cass. And then a set of coordinates. I crumple the note and put it back in my pocket. I have to find Nico. I need to talk about what the bullet catcher told me yesterday. But when I go to Nico's, I find Cloak sitting in his chair his boots kicked up on the desk. When he sees me, he waves me in and smiles and says, Bullets out. I'll come back. Nonsense. Come in. I insist. I'll come back. Thanks. Cloak stands and crosses the room. His spurs jangle sharply with every step. I stand on my ground, refusing to look fearful in front of him. He closes the door and stands in front of me. It could be a while until you see him, Emma. How about you just tell me what you have to say, and I'll pass it on to him. Screw you. I turn to leave, and he grabs me by the shoulders and spins me back around. He throws me against the wall and pins me there. You're wrong about me, you know. You think you're the only one with Bullet's best interest at heart, but you're the one who's hurting him. He was happy before you showed up. Do you think it's easy to be the leader of so many gunslingers? Gunslingers are like wolves, and when the Alpha looks weak, others start to get ideas that they might make a better leader. You make him weak. He steps back and straightens his tie. His bandana guards his mouth, but his eyes smile. He opens the door and steps aside. I'll tell Bullet you said hello. I run out of the room, ashamed of my fear. My arms where cloak grabbed me ache, and I know that under my coat purple handprints are developing on my skin. I go straight to the saloon. Hartwright sits at her table like she's been waiting for me. I slump down next to her and knock back glass after glass of snakebite until I can't remember why I was upset in the first place. All that's left is a tightness in my chest, like a snake coiled around my heart. And the more I drink, the tighter the snake constricts.
0: You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 1 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
1: stranger, I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burnt Wine is a horror fantasy medical mystery, following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world, in which viruses are gods, and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Rudolf Burntwein have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.
0: Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe, produced by Lydia Shama, and executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi, with performances by Justin Morrell and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine
1: Barcelona.